What one technological advancement do you wish had never been invented? Cell phones. <laughs> Although when you're stranded, they help contact your family and the need of a spare tire or just in any need of emergency, but they also cause a lot of accidents and they cause a lot of friendships from forming because as soon as people get out of class, the first thing they want to do is talk on their cell phones. So I just wish that cell phones would be limited to just emergencies only. The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then when I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Serial Spirits. With me is my partner in crime. Annie Weebs, how are you, Shea Bay? I'm doing good. Can you believe this weather already? It's amazing. I love it. It was 80-some degrees yesterday. It's raining. It's like vampire weather today. It's warm, but it's raining. I love it. Vampire weather? Yeah. Is that what you call that, vampire weather? Well, yeah, it's kind of like warm and rainy. It's just soothing. It's good nap weather, right? It is. Right? It's good nap weather. Actually, Rory's upstairs sleeping right now. So we're going to do like a complete 180 from what we've done the last couple episodes this season. So the last two episodes, we've talked about some of our favorite haunted locations. Today, we're going back to a little bit of true crime. It was a missing person case. Now it's an unexplained death case. I covered this story uh, probably a year ago on a live stream that I did with Steve Brott. But the story is so insane. And some other other things that have happened lately, some other podcasts that we've listened to have made me think about this story all over again. And so we wanted to bring it back to you guys with some fresh ears and just, just tell you the story again. Yeah, it's almost like it's got connections and like threads to other different stories because it involves the same police department. And it's kind of crazy. It, when you listen to it, when you listen to the story, if you don't get angry... Um, I promise you, you will be. You should, yeah. Because it's the shit that happens here. It's it's pretty intense. You heard a clip at the beginning, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but what are we getting into today, Annie? Today, we're going to talk about the bizarre death of Maitreese Richardson. I know she's scared, and I feel her fear, and I'm angry because it didn't have to happen. It didn't have to happen. Richardson's family gathered this week outside the sheriff's department to demand answers. Why would a young woman be left alone to walk into the night in the middle of nowhere? If Maitreese Richardson's name was Spears or Lohan, they would never let her walk out by, her, by herself. They would have escorted her home. 
They would have given her keys to a car. They would have given her escort. It's a double standard. You draw your own conclusion. Maitrese Richardson was 24 years old when she vanished just outside of Los Angeles on September 17, 2009. On the night of her disappearance, her bizarre behavior, combined with disinformation provided by the police during the investigation, leave more questions than answers about what really happened to Maitrese. Was her death accidental, or was it something much more sinister? Before we talk about her death, Let's talk about the person that Maitrese was. Maitrese's mom, Latisse, described her as a vivacious and talented young adult. Throughout her life, she performed in dance competitions and pageants and was a competitive cheerleader. Just before her disappearance in 2008, she had obtained a degree in psychology from California State University at Fullerton. Her mom said that she loved psychology and always had an interest in how the human mind worked and she had applied to graduate school to get her master's degree in psych. At the time of her disappearance, Maitrese was living with her 91-year-old grandmother, Mildred, and was working at a dancer at an L.A. bar. Mildred said it wasn't uncommon for Maitrese to come home and have dinner with her in the evenings, but on the evening of her disappearance, she told her grandmother that she was going out. This was the last time that anyone in Maitrese's family would ever see her alive. After leaving home that evening, Maitrese drove to Malibu, and this is where things in the story get bizarre. Maitrese first stops at a swanky restaurant called Joffrey's, just off the Pacific Coast Highway. When she pulled into the parking lot, the valet approached her and told her that he would have to park her car. When the valet came back from parking Maitrese's car, he discovered Maitrese in the car of one of Joffrey's employees going through a book of CDs. When he asked her what she was doing, she said, quote, I'm here to avenge Michael Jackson's death, end quote. As Maitrese exited the employee's car and walked into the restaurant, the valet said that she asked if Vanessa was there and told him to watch for the girl with tattooed arms. Maitrese entered Joffrey's alone, asked for a table for one, ordered a cocktail and a $65 steak. Maitrese noticed a group of people sitting next to her, and she asked if she could join them. When asked where she was from, her answer was that she was from Mars, and she again talked about Michael Jackson. She sat with the group for almost two hours, talking about their astrological signs. As the group dispersed, Maitrese then tries to leave Joffrey's without paying her $89 bill, stating that she didn't have any money. The police were called, and when they arrived, they asked Maitrese if she had anyone that she could call to pay the bill for her. She called Mildred. She called Mildred, but they wouldn't let her pay the bill over the phone. So, Shay, the behavior up until this point is very much unlike what Maitrese's family has described her as. She was very almost disoriented. The whole thing about Michael Jackson, I have no idea what she's talking about. 
But this, but that's kind of like hearsay in a way, isn't it? Because they're saying that's what she said. I mean, right? It, it would obviously stand out if somebody comes into the place and they're acting strange. Um, but that's what I was going to ask. Did she have any history of mental illness or? Not that her family has ever come forward and said. And if you look at the pictures of Maitreese that night versus the rest of the pictures that you would see ever on the internet, she even looks disheveled. Her hair's messy. She's wearing kind of a baggy black t-shirt and jeans. Not the type of attire, not the way that you would look when you walk into Joffrey's and order a $65 steak. It's just, it was completely, totally unlike her character. So she gets there and she doesn't, you know, she talks to these people, just strangers, and they're saying the same thing. She was just acting, like saying weird stuff, like I'm from Mars and yeah. doing astrological signs and talking about Michael Jackson. Almost kind of like these people, that was their entertainment. And then they realized as she gets ready to leave, she says she doesn't have any money. And it's like, oh, okay, now, now this is something that's criminal, I guess, for lack of a better word. So we actually have the 911 call from Joffrey's restaurant that that night, um, and we can listen to it, and we can just talk about the take of what, you know, you hear from the one of the servers at the restaurant what's going on. It's it's kind of intense. Lost Shore Station, Deputy Shalef, I can help you. Hi, I'm calling from Joffrey's restaurant in Malibu. Yeah. Um, we have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill, and we think she may... She sounds really crazy. She may be on drugs or something. Um, we were wondering if someone could come by and pick her up. Okay. Well, what's the address there? It's 27400 Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, is she a white, black, Asian, Hispanic? She's a um, young black girl. She's probably in her 20s. Okay. What's she wearing? She's wearing a black T-shirt and I think blue jeans. Is she with anybody else? No, it's just her. So it's almost like a quick, you know, description of what's going on. And, and the server says she, I think she's on drugs or something. But there was no, like, nobody really knew for sure if no. she was on drugs or just having some kind of mental break. Right, exactly. And so the police show up and this is where things just kind of hit the rails all over again. Upon searching her car, police found Mitrice's wallet with her debit card, her cell phone, and less than an ounce of marijuana, although they didn't initially report finding the wallet or the cell phone in the car. Those details actually came out later. She was arrested for possession and defrauding an innkeeper. Her car was taken to a tow yard, and Mitrice was taken to the Lost Hills Police Department. Mitrice's mother, Latisse, was called shortly after she was booked and was told that Mitrice was in custody. Latisse claims that the officer who contacted her asked if Mitrice had any history of mental illness or was on any medications. Latisse vehemently denied that and asked if they would hold Mitrice until morning that she had another young child at home and was unable to pick her up in the middle of the night. Latisse says that she was told by the officer that they would hold Mitrice until the morning. So we actually have the phone call that her mom originally called after she found out that her daughter was being arrested, and she calls the police to find out what exactly is going on. I am calling. I'm a little frazzled right now. I understand my daughter is being brought into the station. My Therese Richardson, have they made it to the station yet, and she's been booked? Okay. Is, is, do you know where she's coming from? 
Uh, it's some restaurant out in Malibu, and I, I didn't even think to get the name. The okay, manager's yeah, name the is... Only, the only place we have somebody that's in custody that they just announced on the radio that they're coming up is from Joffrey's in Joffrey. the Highway. It's okay. the only female that's being brought up to the station as we speak. They actually just put it on the radio right before you called. Okay, okay. I'm I'm her mother, oh, okay. and are you guys going to book her and then release her on her own re recognizance tonight because it, it's, it's dark, she doesn't have a car, and I don't want her wandering out. I'm, I'm totally just taken aback because this is so out of character for her, yeah. and you'll see when she comes in, she, she's well-spoken. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are going to release her tonight. Yeah. If, if going to be held in custody for some type of arraignment tomorrow, mm -hmm. then I will wait until tomorrow. She definitely has no place, you know, I mean, she's not from that area, and I would hate to wake up to a morning report, girl, uh -huh. lost somewhere with her head chopped off, uh -huh. so I guess I would have to come and get her, oh my God. Yeah, we're in a great house. The only thing is, at least in the station here, she will be separated, so nobody's going to be with her, uh, so at least that's, you know, the plus thing, so you don't have to worry about her safety. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I feel safe with her being yeah. in, in custody. It's being released, but I'm worried about it. It's, it's crazy out here. All right. Well, then I will more than likely call and touch bases with you guys a little bit later. Okay. Um, yeah, she'll call you as soon as she comes in, too. So the foreshadowing of that call is almost very, very eerie. Oh, my God. It gives you chills here. I mean, knowing what, how this story plays out, that's so terribly sad. And what kind of got me, and I don't know how it normally is, this is one of those questions I'll have to ask Chris probably later on. But when they book you like that, I mean, I've been booked before. They don't normally put you by yourself. Maybe it's because the state of mind she was in for the safety of herself and maybe the other people, they kept her alone. But that's just odd in itself, too. Maybe you would think she would be held in, for lack of a better term, the drunk tank, right? If they're just holding somebody and they think that you are under the influence of something, they would just keep you there until you were able to make sound decisions on your own. But one of the most important things that her mom says, too, is like, you'll see when you talk to her, she's very well spoken. So this is like obviously way her mom doesn't have any of the the details really right. of what's going on. So right. She can exactly. tell, you know, she's she's worried. She's more worried about her being released than being in jail. Than being held, right. And that's that's obviously what we're going to get into with this story. Again, Latisse was told that Maitrice would be held until the morning so that she could come pick her up. But that didn't happen. When Latisse called the Lost Hills Police Department the next morning, she was told that Maitrice had been released at around 12.30 a.m., she left the department on foot since her car was still inbound and with no cell phone or wallet. When Latisse asks how she can file a missing persons report, the officer tells her that she has to wait at least 48 hours. At 6.30 a.m. in nearby Montanito, a man calls 911 stating that he awoke to find a young African-American woman in his backyard. When asked if she was okay, she told the man that she was just resting, but quickly got up and ran away. Police were dispatched to the man's home, but no trace of the young woman was found. This man's house is approximately seven miles from the Lost Hills Police Department. Two days later, at the insistence of Mitrice's family, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department begins a search for Mitrice, 
not beginning at the Lost Hills Police Department, but at the home from which the man reported seeing the young woman fitting Mitrice's description the morning after her release. Her family was told that no surveillance video had been recorded that night, that their security cameras were only there for monitoring in real time, and that Mitrice's four phone calls that she made from the station that night had not been recorded because the payphone that inmates typically use was broken, so she was allowed to call from an unrecorded line. You start talking about red flags all over the place. You're in a police state. Just like the Jeffrey Epstein, you know, nothing was recording, nothing was working. Right. The phones don't work. The video doesn't work. Well, then what does work? Well, what I don't understand is you're in a jail. Why are you just using the video for surveillance? Why isn't it recording anything? Most DVRs are recording. It's just a matter of hitting that record button. And you would think, especially in a jail where people are being held against their will, where Things could come into play into court later. None of it makes sense. I want to play the the call, and you can hear the drastic contrast of her mom from what the phone call you heard before, how she's kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, everything. I just don't want her to get out by by herself to finding out that she may have been released or that she was released and that she's missing. And the contrast in her voice is just, it's staggering. And then I want to break down everything that you just talked about before, because there's a lot of red flags. Last little jurisdiction, I'm here to help you. Yes, good, good morning. My name is Latisse Dutton. I'm calling to follow up on my daughter who was brought in last night around 10.30, 11 o'clock. Okay, let me transfer you to the jailer. Hold on, please. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Lost Hill Station, Baumgartner. Yes, hi. My name is Latisse Dutton. I called not too long ago regarding my daughter, Mitrice Richardson. How long before a missing person's report can be filed? Is it 24 or 48 hours? That's normal. Well, it depends on the circumstances, but uh, um, I, I didn't take your call, so I'm not familiar with it. Did she just not return home after going out? She was arrested last night. This is the first time she's been arrested. Um, she's in an unknown area. Mm-hmm. She's never been in. She's without a vehicle. Nobody can find her. And, and where was this at? Where was she arrested at? Your your facility. Her name is Mitrice Richardson. Okay. Do Do you know if she's if she's here now or was she released? They said she was released. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what time was she released? Um, at, at just shortly after 12 a.m. Yeah, normally I we wouldn't I wouldn't recommend doing one uh, that soon. Um, right. What is the time frame? You know, I I guess probably 24 hours would be reasonable. I mean, no. if if there would be some some mitigating factors, you know, where you know you would suspect maybe something. You know, well, not yeah. Right. right. She doesn't know the area. She's never been in your area before. Where, where, do you, where does she live? She is unfamiliar with that area. Do you she think she possibly could have gotten a bus home? No. And oh, listen, my child has never ridden a bus. Okay. No. Right. She would not know how to ride a bus. <laughs> I would probably wait till you know, early this morning. And if she doesn't turn up, you can certainly call. I don't suspect anything... Um, bad happened. I'm concerned because, uh, well, first of all, I thought that they were going to keep her overnight because she was highly intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something so, so, something is obviously going on with her. Have you she talked tried, to the jailer? And yes, 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 I have. He said he tried to get her to stay, but because she was an adult, they had to let her go. I I believe that she is highly depressed, um, and she she she's in a depressive state. <sighs> You know, it could be possible that maybe she, I mean, there's a lot of options and I, a lot of possibilities, and I don't think all of them would be, um, you know, something dire, but I can certainly understand your fears, you know, being your daughter and all that. Well, um, I think she's depressed. That's what has me is more that what, That's worried that. you more than just her, okay. That and the fact that she's in an area where she doesn't, know where she's at. Yeah, does so, she take medication at all? No, she. I, I believe it's a state that she's in right now because of just the, the weird activities that's been going on. What, what's her name? Day. What's her, her name? name is, her name is Matrice okay. Richardson. Okay, and your name, ma'am? Latisse. Okay, Latisse. Here, here's what I want you to do. Let yes. get, why don't you wait a couple hours and, and give us some time to kind of, I'll go back and talk to the jailer and try and get a timeline of when she was released and, you know, make sure she's not asleep in our lobby or anything like that. And then once you give us a call back in a couple hours, if she hasn't shown up okay. or made contact with you, then maybe we can do something for you, okay? So right away, I'm just going to, I had to set the mood down here for a calm environment because this story, hearing some of this stuff already made me mad. You know, this this jailer or this, you know, deputy here is trying his best to keep calm and, and understand the situation. And you don't really know all the background information about a lot of this stuff. But I can honestly say you have a person, an adult, who's in a very strange state, still acting weird, being this way. And you release them with no phone, knowing that their stuff has been confiscated and is in the impound. They have no phone. They have no wallet. And you release them out into the street. How much sense does that make? And there are two things that I took away from that call. Number one, at first he says, oh, well, 24 to 48 hours for a missing person. What's the scenario? And so Latisse tells him, and he says, let's give it 24 hours. It was a full 48 hours before they started searching for her. So he's saying 24, but maybe 48. It was like he had no idea, right? The second thing that strikes me as very odd is that the first call that Latisse makes, she says she has no history of anything like this. She's not on any medications. She's never had this type of thing happen to her before. And now she's saying she's been, she's worried that she's in some type of a depressive state. Probably so, finding out all the details of what, of how she was brought in. Maybe, no, okay, well, this isn't like her. What's going on? Maybe so. And maybe in that point, she's talked to family and other things have come out because things did come out in the wash after that. But you can tell this is a mother who is extremely concerned, who has not seen this type of behavior from her child before and is scared for her life. I just know that we, you know, had a friend and... He was almost in the uh, same situation where his daughter was taken into custody, and that was his concern. He was concerned that she was going to be let out, and he wanted to be there when she got out, and they told him a time to be there, and they had already released her. And she was walking down the street in the rain, in the dark, with no phone or a dead phone, and they just let her out the door. And he went in there and told the, the, the department, he was like, Look, why would you let a young 
college-age girl walk outside after being, you know, and you think it's okay. So we also have the phone call from the man who called 911 reporting the young woman in his backyard the morning after my trees disappeared, and we'll play that for you as well. Hello, Sheriff Station Office, can I help you? Yeah, hi. Hey, uh, this is uh, uh, Smith at Cold Canyon. We had a prowler walking around through the backyard here, but we don't know what the situation was. I don't know if you have a unit in the area. It might do a little drive-by or something. Okay, where is this at? This is Cold Canyon, like hot and cold in Monte Nito. Um, but it's in the back of the house, uh, which is right where Wood Bluff hits, the, hits uh, Cold Canyon. Uh, and we just had a strange woman walking through the backyard here. It's a fairly large property, and she was sitting on the steps right, right on the back of the house here. Uh, this is kind of a circular driveway, and the gates were closed, so we don't know where this woman came from. And you said the cross was Wood Bluff? Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's there's a, a horse trail, ac- hiking trail access through here, but we've never had this kind of happen, thing happen before. <laughs> what she look like, white, black, Hispanic? Uh, you know, a tall, slim, black woman with Afro hair. How tall? Uh, well, she was sitting down, stretched out on the wooden steps in the back of the house. Hard to tell, but she looked like she might have been medium to slightly tall, uh, with a big Afro hair, very skinny. And I think she was wearing maybe jeans or tight pants with a T-shirt. You never, you've never seen her there before? No, never. Nobody ever does that. I mean, the, the people hike on the trail all the time. We, you know, the trail goes through our property, but we leave it open on purpose because it's kind of a nice thing for horses and people. And you said she's laying across the. She was laying across the steps, or but she was sitting, kind of sprawled out on the on these wooden steps in the back of the house, right against the back of the house. She's yeah. since got up and left. Uh, she's since gone. Yeah, she's been gone about five minutes now. But as we thought it over, we thought maybe a little drive-by wouldn't be a bad idea. And what direction was she? She last seen headed? Never saw her. She, well, once she left, she just dis- disappeared. Uh, we I moved from one window to another. I said to her, I, I hollered down, "Are you all right?" And she said, "I'm just resting," or something like that. Uh, but. Uh, she's certainly gone out of her way to get to that close to the house because the, the hiking trail is not that close. It's on the ridge. All right. Well, since we haven't checked the area for Appreciate that very much. Not a problem, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So, again, the information originally provided to the family was that there was no record, no video record of my trees at the precinct that night and that there was no phone call record of the four phone calls that she made. The family later found out that this was not true. In fact, there was video of Maitrice in her cell that night, but it wasn't released to the family until the following January. The videotape had been in the desk drawer of Captain Thomas Martin. The video showed Maitrice holding on to the bars of the jail cell, swaying back and forth, Latisse saying that it was obvious that something was wrong with her daughter that night. Another conflicting detail that came from the video was the fact that originally there had been no deputies at the Lost Hills Department that night that could have driven Maitrees home. However, just minutes after she's released, there's video of a deputy exiting the building and walking off camera. So originally, they tell Maitrees's family that she was let go on her own because no one was there that could have given her a police escort home. And within minutes, you see this deputy leaving the building alone, and that's it. I just don't understand, like I said before, in your logical mind, you know that there's something wrong. There's something going on with this young girl. You let her go. You just let her out. Like, I don't know what the protocol is in a lot of these 
cities and jurisdictions, but wouldn't you at least say, hey, we got some some female, you know, she has some something going on mentally, maybe she ought to get checked out at the hospital or be put in some psychiatric hold for 24 hours, something like that. I mean, that that seems like logical protocol to me, but I don't, again, we don't know the actual protocol that this department followed. Mitrice's family immediately launched an extensive search for Mitrice. More than 300 volunteers searched a 20-mile radius of Malibu Canyon, but no sign of Mitrice was found. One strange finding, though, was a graphic graffiti display painted on a wall in the area that they had searched, depicting a young, nude African-American woman. The police were notified, but couldn't make any direct connection to the graffiti and Mitrice's disappearance. Nothing happens for another nine months in the search for Mitrice. Nine months after she disappeared, an unexpected sighting was reported. In June of 2010, a former classmate of Mitrice claimed that he saw her at a bar in Las Vegas. He said he called out to her, and she seemed to acknowledge that he had spoken directly to her, but she looked very anxious and quickly got up and left. When he reported this sighting to the police, Mitrice's father, Michael, went to Vegas to search for himself. And then another bombshell. Michael claimed that he saw Mitrice too, walking the street in a crowd in an area that was well known for prostitution. He said that he ran from his car into the crowd where she had been, but he couldn't find her. Another clue about Mitrice's mindset was discovered in the writings of her journals and her MySpace page. Mitrice's journals were found in her car after her disappearance and, according to her family, were another sign that she could have been suffering from a mental break. Her handwriting would vary between her normal, neat penmanship to scrawling thoughts documenting her lack of sleep and wild thoughts. Her MySpace page posts basically the same thing, and friends said that the days leading up to her disappearance, Mitrice had sent erratic text messages to her friends that did not sound like her normal self. Nothing happened in the case for another two months. Then on August 9, 2010, park rangers in the Santa Monica mountain area called Dark Canyon discovered something while out looking for a marijuana grow. The mummified body of a young woman and clothes scattered about the body they had found the remains of Mitrice Richardson. As if the way the police had handled Mitrice on the night of her disappearance wasn't bad enough, the treatment of her body and the scene at which she was found was even worse. When park rangers notified the police of their findings, the coroner was called and police were told not to touch the body until the coroner was there. When the coroner arrived hours later, it was discovered that the authorities had already been to the site, collected her body and anything around it, including the clothes, and airlifted them out by helicopter. No pictures were taken of the scene. They had simply bagged up her remains and flew them away. Well, we're we're trying to identify who these bones belong to, whoever that is. I was also told that her family has been called out here as well. I, I don't know about that. When you say called out here, I don't know what that means. What, what we do is that we're investigating, as we do routinely with remains that are found, unfortunately, way too often in this area and other areas as well. 
Um, and so that's what we're doing. Could you describe how these bones may have gotten there? Is there like a trail nearby? No, there's or no it's trail really nearby. Like totally removed totally from. Totally remote. Yeah. Um, it's as I said this morning when the park rangers set out to look at the marijuana grows that were active a couple of seasons to go to see if they were active this growing season. Um, it took them three to four hours to get there just to get to the grow, and that's when they discovered the bones. We couldn't even go in by foot. We had to chop her in and then lower down. Um, and then you were describing... And then, by the way, we were not close. We then had to hike up. They had to hike up to where it was. No, it's a skull and some, par and some bones. Body. No, not at all. No clothes, nothing? No, nothing. Nothing at all like that. That's yes, cool. and they can get DNA from the bones. Oh, they have ways of identifying a DNA, uh, if there's any de uh, matching dental records, things like that. If there are um, dental in the skull, then they can match them. So you had said earlier that they found mummified remains. So what is the contrast there? Was it just bones or was it actually, I mean, what was the actual reporting? Were they mummified remains or was it just a skeletal, a skeleton. Were there clothes or were there not clothes? There were clothes there. So due to the advanced state of decomposition, the coroner was unable to determine Mitrice's cause of death, but it was noted that she was found partially nude. Her clothes were around her body and still in pretty good condition. Her belt and her bra were both there, but they had been unfastened. And so that led the coroner to believe that animals hadn't pulled them from the body after she was dead. They were unfastened like a human had done that. So there was probably a sexual assault, more than likely. I don't know. I mean, that's that's something that, of course, would not be out of the realm of possibility. There was something else that I found interesting, too. Um, this was from an article from websleuths.com. So you hear the guy in that video talk about how remote this area was. Was there a trail there? Was there a road? How did she get there? So this article says, quote, the location is difficult to access as when we were taken to the location, we were taken in by the local search and rescue team. We were harnessed and had to wear protective gear as there was much poison oak in the area. We entered through a creek bed and eventually were met with large boulders, which we had to propel over as well as scale the sides of a few boulders. The ravine was slippery, wet, and very steep in several places. Although the location is about a mile off the main road, it took us more than an hour to get there. I do not believe Mitrice entered through that ravine, or if she did, she got there a different way than we did. I believe it's most likely that she entered the trail, which is at the back end of a porn ranch, that is located just above the ravine. I know that when her body was found, law enforcement used the back end of the porn ranch as the base of their command. So Shay, this is something else that is a little sketchy about this. They talk about how remote this area is, that it's used for the marijuana grows, but also within a few miles, there was a 21-acre ranch that was well known as a place that they would go shoot pornographic films. And so there's another thought is, did my trees get out there in some state and someone tried to take advantage of her there? Or somebody picked her up or the police knew about it and they took her out there or, I mean, yeah, there's 50 million things, but that's just an odd coincidence that it's pretty close to a porn ranch. Right. It's and close to that. It's close to close to the main road. 
but still her body was so far away. They talk about how difficult it was even for the search and rescue team to get there. It almost would be like, I mean, I don't know exactly what the coroner report said as far as her skeletal remains, but almost like you would almost have to drop somebody out of a helicopter or a plane or something for them to to land there. And the simple fact that she was even found is incredible if it was that remote. In 2011, at the request of her family, Mitrice's remains were exhumed to be tested by an independently hired forensic pathologist. The clothes found at the scene were sent to the LA Sheriff Department crime lab since, according to Mitrice's mother, the Sheriff's Department had not claimed them at the time that Mitrice's body was found and they had never been tested for any type of evidence. So what, I mean, what are we kind of getting at here? Uh, You hate to be one of them know-it-all crime people, but are we kind of getting at the fact that the police had something to do with it or they know what happened to her and they're trying to cover it up? So you can't point any direct fingers, right? But there were other activities that the Lost Hills Police Department had also been in trouble for in and around the years of Mitrice's disappearance. There was, I believe he was a music executive in LA who was riding his bicycle on a road, his family says in a bicycle lane, and was struck and killed by a Lost Hills deputy while the deputy was on duty in his cruiser as he was driving parallel to this biker. He was typing on his inboard computer was not focused on the road, hit and kills this man. They, the police said that they were, this guy was found innocent of any wrongdoing because they said he was working, he was doing his job, and it must have been the fault of the bicyclist. You'll also remember- you can be arrested in California for being on your phone in your car. right? Right. And then you'll also remember that the Lost Hills Police Department was the police department that was entangled in the Mel Gibson controversy when all the anti-Semitic comments were made. And again, it was kind of found in favor of the police department and everything was just swept under the rug. That's kind of insane to think about. You kill, hit and kill somebody. I mean, I'm sure that guy felt terrible, but um, they made it go away, I guess. I mean, uh, it's just kind of odd that you, you hear all these stories about corrupt police departments and people being murdered and things just being swept under the rug. But how, how, how does a girl who was in police custody in a state of mind that's just very questionable, unlike herself, end up in the middle of the woods that is hard to access by a porn ranch without the police somehow not doing the, the due diligence they were supposed to do. Mitrice's parents have independently filed suits against the county, and in 2011, were each awarded settlements of $450,000. In 2015, they asked then-California Attorney General Kamala Harris to review the case to file charges against the sheriff's office for the mishandling of Mitrice and her case. At the end of 2016, Attorney General Harris stated there was not enough evidence to charge any authorities with any type of crime. Shay, there are so many different theories as to what actually happened to Mitrice 
that led to her death. Were the police involved? Was she released and someone found her and picked her up as, quote unquote, a good Samaritan that really wasn't a good Samaritan? Did she somehow, in her state of mind, wander out into the desert that way and succumb to the elements? This is a place where, you know, it's freezing at night. There are snakes. There's poison oak, like that one uh, searcher talked about. It could have happened anyway. The fact is, they just don't know because the police did what they said they weren't going to do. I just can't even get over the fact, you know, we heard that original phone call from her mom and how she was just like, I'm just scared that she's going to be released in a place she doesn't know. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, that's it's just just mind boggling to me. Even if the police weren't involved in like, say, something evil as, you know, killing this girl or somebody being involved that way. Just the simple fact that things were covered up and people just don't want to admit fault is make what makes it even worse. A lot of the information that I got for our show today came from a really fantastic article from September 1st, 2011 in L.A. magazine by a journalist named Mike Kessler. Kessler actually talks about emails that he was able to obtain that were sent internally in the sheriff's department contradicting Mitrice's state of mind that night. The links that he had previously included uh, to those emails are now broken, so you can't see him online anymore. But this guy did, if you want to read even more about what happened in Mitrice's case, LA Magazine, Mike Kessler, September 1st, 2011, is a really, really fantastic article. He did a, a great deep dive into this case. I mean, this is a really weird story and god i just couldn't even imagine being her mother and having to deal with the fallout of it all uh, one of the things i wanted to say though just quickly was the the mental health side of it she started you know people started noticing all these how she started acting differently uh, her writings and everything like that and maybe it was the pressure of school and just being in these beauty pageants doing all this stuff your whole life finally just gets to you where you just break so i think it's important you know always check on your friends when something doesn't seem right it's probably not right you know and and her mom knew her better than most people but you still you don't know everything about your friends or your kids absolutely if you see something say something whether it's to that person or their family members because you just don't know what their state of mind could be and it's very possible that she did just suffer a mental break which led to just the terrible tragedy that was her death. That's why I always say in these these episodes at the end, be aware and be safe, because the more you're aware of things like this and your surroundings and stuff like this goes on, you know, when you're faced with that problem or situation, it's not wrong to always think the negative thing first, you know, and just do what you can do to, to correct the situation. For more information and photos related to this case, there is still a website that Mitrice's family uh, put up. It's www.findmytrice.info. So if you'd like to see any pictures or videos in relation to this case, you can go there. And it's a case that was heavily covered. So you type in her name, you're going to get a lot of, you know, these phone calls and the videos. It's just a terrible tragedy. Well, my heart goes out to Matrice's family. And I really hope someday the truth really does come out and they find out what exactly happened to their beautiful daughter. Well, Annie, that was that was a heavy one. It was a heartbreaking That's story. It's a heavy hitter, yeah. But we're going to end there. Maybe next week we'll bring you something more upbeat and positive. Well, guys, 
enjoy the nice weather wherever you are. Spring is right around the corner, so hopefully the weather stays nice and warm and we get to go out and enjoy the great weather this year. Until next time, guys, be aware and be safe. Bye-bye.